You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 148. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You've reached another Local Maximum. I just want to say, as we count down the final weeks of this year, 2020, I really appreciate everyone who has stepped up uh, to support The Local Maximum and join our locals group at maximum.locals.com. Even if you just sign up, just put your name in there and yeah, download the app maybe and check it every once in a while. But just 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 sign up really helps. And and for those of you who became supporters on the platform with a small monthly donation, a double thanks. Uh, I really look forward to sharing all the plans we have for the local maximum going forward. We have, I don't know, is that the royal we? I guess Aaron is involved and you know my friends and all and the people who I have on the show and 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 the guests and and as well all of you who I who I sometimes talk to about what we're going to do on this podcast and the related content and the website and all that. Um, but uh, you know we have the podcast, we have the learning concepts, we have the analysis of current events that are related to everything that we're discussing, and there is like a ton of work to do in 2021. So I thank you all for listening, and I thank you for all the support you have done there and and let's let's talk about it let's make it better uh so speaking of learning we are going to get an update on applied artificial intelligence today and if you listen to the whole program you are going to get a broad view into areas where ai and machine learning and and all that are are being deployed and in some cases in places where you might not have considered those things being deployed before, so so that's that that's always fun. I know I learned uh, more about the world from today's guest. Uh, we talked about from from real time decision making systems to uh, the changing nature of innovation and the changing nature of work as we move into the 2020s. And I don't think anyone denies that it's changing, uh, but it's still an open question how. So we introduced some new thoughts there, and finally we discussed the concept of augmented intelligence as it relates to things like uh, chatbots and um, and all, all that fun stuff and, uh, and, and, and and what that really means, augmented intelligence. Um, so this stuff, regardless of who you are, this stuff affects your life, whether you like it or not, no matter who you are. But if you follow the AI business landscape or if you're an engineer or product professional in the industry. Today's discussion will be of particular interest to you, so let's get to it. My next guest has a broad range of experience in technology, including applied artificial intelligence research and business at the executive level, as well as academia and marketing. And from my discussion is really someone who has their fingers on the pulse of what's happening in the world of AI, especially when it comes to applied innovation today. Lisa Palmer, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. It is exciting to be here. Thanks for having me, Max. I'm actually really excited about this conversation. I, it's been a few weeks since I've done an interview. I was like, whoa, when was the last time I've done this? But, um, you know, I, I, uh, I don't do as many interviews anymore. And I'm, I'm excited about this one because you have, uh, you, 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 there are so many different areas in tech and AI that we could talk about today. And so we're just going to touch on a few things. But I, I want to start with your background. Uh, I know this might be going back a little ways. I saw you worked at Gartner, and I always loved their like hype, hype cycle charts. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that, that and a little bit about what you do now. 
Absolutely. So just to give a little bit of context, I've got three primary pieces of my background. I was an IT practitioner for years and years all across the IT realm with my last role culminating as a chief innovation officer, which was a dual role of both CIO and CMO. And then the second kind of bucket of experience was in enterprise field selling and running a geo for Microsoft for their enterprise sales territory. And then the third piece to your point, Max, was a large period of time with Gartner and focused on specifically on helping executives to use the fantastic research that Gartner has to inform their digital strategies. So how were they going to embrace all of the fantastic capabilities that now exist and that are constantly on the horizon to keep their businesses moving forward? Cool. So this is a question. I feel like a lot of people would be afraid to ask this question because it sounds like a dumb question. But, uh, but you said you were a CIO, a chief information officer. Yes. What, how, what's the difference between that and like a CTO or some, someone like that? So, you know, the definition of the roles can vary depending on the organization that you work for. There's certainly anomalies, but in my particular instance, the CIO role was responsible for everything that was technology, but also all of the people and process elements that you wrap around that as well. So sometimes there's a delineation between the specifically the tech piece and all of the other parts that are that are really necessary for your overall technology strategy to be pursued. Yeah. So what is? Hmm, I, I'm trying to think. Like you're you're talking about incorporating emerging technologies into businesses, and uh, this is a question. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. What what are have you run into any like cautionary tales? Like what what, what do people do wrong in in this area? With regard to emerging tech it's really important for us to, first of all, keep an eye on what's possible. Have somebody that is focused on keeping a pulse on the capabilities that are available and emerging in the market and really mapping those into what you are trying to achieve from a corporate objectives perspective. And so whether you're in a commercial environment or you're in a not-for-profit or government environment where you're more mission-oriented, having somebody that is really keeping a pulse on what is possible and then translating that into what it means for your organization is really important. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So there's a lot of topics we can cover today in terms of data science and AI. And we can, we can go all the places if you want, but um, we spoke earlier about focusing on real-time decision-making with data. So can you give us some examples and tell me why this is uh, an interesting topic right now? You know, there's been many years now where it's been popular to have dashboards, people at the, certainly at the managerial level have information that they're gleaning from different types of charts and graphs where everyone is comfortable looking at things that have happened in the past and making future decisions based off of the historical information that you see on a kind of a classic dashboard. What I believe is really important in today's times is that with the, uh, the proliferation of data that there is now, uh, we have an ability now to be able to push real-time information directly to those individuals who are making decisions live right now today 
And to be able to do that allows us to inform decisioning truly at the point that the choices are being made instead of in retrospect or uh, you know, a month from now, when we're looking at the dashboard, we'll look back and we'll decide that next month we're going to do something differently. Well, what we've seen happen through the pandemic is that things are changing at this crazy rapid pace. And so it's really important that we get that decisioning happening closer and closer to the source of the choices and it not be so delayed in um, in the way that we execute against information that we glean from our data. So pushing that decisioning down to a frontline supervisor or even to somebody that is a frontline's employee, if you can arm them with current data so they can make a choice right now about what they're going to do, that's when data becomes really powerful from top to bottom throughout your organization. Yeah, I, th now that I think about it, we kind of ran into that at, at at my job at Foursquare, we were trying to make some, put together some dashboards for COVID real fast, and it was like, wow, this is not, <laughs> this is not the type of thing that we've uh, thought about having to do, uh, and so we were kind of uh, exactly, scrambling. you know, the timing is the timing is so tough, right? We've yeah. got to get that, we got to get that real time information into people's hands. So things like if you are a member of a supply chain organization and you have historically uh, sent an order to supplier X. And you actually today know that as a result of COVID, for example, supplier X is completely unable to fulfill your order. Instead of you putting that order in with them as you normally would have, and then waiting to find out that, oops, they can't fill that, that order. What if now you have real-time information that tells you that that order could be fulfilled by supplier Z that is normally number five on your list of suppliers, but they've got it, they have it right now. And you, so instead at that very moment, you place the order with supplier Z instead. And now the impact on your customers is that you are able to provide them with the same quality and level of service that they have become accustomed to receiving from you. And that's all being enabled by real-time data decisioning. So let's talk about some examples, which are a little bit more of it that are that are just like interesting because I have some written down here that we talked about before. One was uh, fighting wildfires. I think people want to hear about that. Oh, this is a fantastic example, and I love purpose-oriented examples of how we leverage and apply data. So in this example, as we all know, wildfires have been a significant problem along our west coast, and particularly as a result of uh, of sparks coming off of our transmission lines in that area, right? So in order to be able to control this more quickly, imagine just taking a, a metal stick with a sensor on the end of it and those being uh, placed in the ground along the entire transmission routes and connecting those devices through IoT or uh, through IoT capabilities back into a, a core system that is providing up to the second information about the temperature of that particular sensor. And then as a result of that, if that sensor starts to show 
an elevation in temperature, we can make some assumptions that there's, there's a problem there. So now we overlay things like weather data over top of that that shows where the wind patterns are, are potentially going to push if there is a fire outbreak in that area where directionally would that fire go. And now you can deploy in real time uh, firefighting resources to that area without having to wait to see it, to have somebody physically come across that fire, et cetera. So you're able to, in real time, send resources to fight fires before they begin to spread. So it sounds like it's not just a real-time data stream where I'm just taking sensor data and pushing it to people in real time. There's also some real statistical modeling going on uh, in real time as well. Absolutely. So this is about... It, this is about taking a stream of data and, and turning it into visualizations on the fly that can inform decision making. So imagine that as that data comes in, that you're seeing a visualization of, you know, a, and it could depend on the situation, obviously, but a chart, a graph, some kind of a visual representation that shows people, hey, there's a problem right here. So this is how we get engaged. And then literally on that visual, you've got a map that overlays the, what the wind patterns are and you can physically see exactly where your threat is from a wildfire fighting perspective. So it's incredibly powerful to combine that real-time data with real-time visualization. Is there anyone, um, and, and it could be wildfires, it could be something else, but is there anyone that comes to mind that implements something like this really well right now? So, okay, Max, let me jump into an example of McLaren racing. So McLaren, obviously, F1, uh, fantastic racing organization, and they are recording petabytes of data during every race. This is a massive amount of data and they're using every, every piece of equipment inside of their, uh, inside of their cars are intelligent. Every piece that's intelligent is sending, uh, is sending this sensor information in through Splunk and we're able to visualize for them what is happening with every piece of that super high quality car um, to enable this race team to help them to perform at their absolute maximum um, best quality. I mean, racing uh, is... Are you allowed to... Hold on. Are, when these uh, races are happening, are you allowed to, like, gather and use real-time data from the car and, like, send it to the cloud and back and all that? Is that legitimate? Absolutely. Racing wow. is... Racing is, is absolutely a technical business in today's times. So, you know, there's an, an adage today that every business is a technology business. And I think that racing is a perfect example of how that has evolved through the years. And the McLaren team is just, you know, absolutely fantastic in this space. And I, I haven't even thought about that. Yeah, it's there are so many behind the scenes activities that happen with organizations that probably don't even immediately pop to mind. I have another example of an organization that is a grain agricultural business. So imagine that they think of themselves as wanting to be the Amazon of the grain delivery business. Well, we don't think of 
necessarily think of agriculture um, every day as a highly technical business, and it absolutely is. So those are the kinds of things that, uh, that we can use data to inform and to help to provide high quality service that impacts not only profitability, but the purpose, the ability of these organizations to actually create the impact in the world that they're trying to create. What problems are unique to these real-time data systems? Well, obviously, connectivity is huge, right? I mean, there's, so there's a lot of conversation around 5G and what are the 5G impacts going to be around things like uh, real-time data. And there's so much overlap in technologies. So when we, when we think about real-time decision-making, we've got to take into consideration things like what are the capabilities of IoT? What are the capabilities of 5G? What are the capabilities of machine learning and artificial intelligence? And, you know, so it's not just that we can take one of these technologies and approach it in a silo. We've got to really be thinking. So back to your question about emerging technologies, we've got to be thinking about what are the interwoven possibilities of all of these technologies. All right. So let's go uh, uh, some uh, other topics to get through. Let's just go through them. Uh, so the term data uh, decision science has gained in popularity. Uh, what does that term mean um, within our pandemic con context in, in particular? Yeah, sure. So Decision science is about making sure that we are informing the decisions that we make with data. And I like to think of it as a combination also of how are we going to make decisions by using the very best of what data, machine learning, artificial intelligence on the technology side, we've got to bring the very best capabilities of that together with the human abilities, and this is really an augmented intelligence approach, uh, we've got to bring that together where we get the very best out of human creativity, empathy, all of the things that really are you know, core human capabilities that separate us from machines. And we want to take the very best that we bring to the table and combine that with the very best capabilities at the table from a technology perspective. And if we can get that if we can get that mix right, where we've got the best of both being brought forward, that's when we get really positive outcomes for customers and humanity. I feel like a lot of machine learning algorithms, or at least the one that, that I work with, they often, they don't make decisions. And that's what people don't realize. They don't make decisions. They only make predictions. And um, it it takes another step sometimes to turn those into decisions and sometimes it's, you have to think about what decisions you want to make based on what it says and it, 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 it's something that um, you have to do pretty carefully because it, it's not always it's not always obvious it's absolutely not obvious and I think a lot of the fear that people have around machine learning around artificial intelligence a lot of the fear is based on this uh, this concern about the actual decisions that are being made as a result of the information. And so it's incredibly important that we have a view that as, as humans, we're comfortable with understanding what information is being provided with kind of with the observability elements of what happens with machine learning. We've got to elevate the comfort level 
that people have. And I think you've just nailed one of the core issues, Max, and that people are concerned that it's making decisions for them. So we've got to make sure that it is transparent, that what is happening is transparent and that people begin to gain comfort with that. And that in and of itself is not a simple solution. It's, it's not a simple problem to solve because, yeah. yeah. Uh, there are a lot of times when you're, you know, designing something and it's like, well, this is a black box that makes the, that, that does the best on, on some metrics, some training data. Let's say you're building like, I don't know, a, a neural net, a deep learning system. And then, you know, one of the downsides is people are like, well, I don't know. I don't know what it's doing. Exactly. And then you have a resistance to adopting whatever capability you've brought forward for your organization because people are anxious about what is it doing? What, how is it deciding these things? And that, that is a, an issue that has to be addressed for people to be comfortable with the outcomes that are created. So it's, it's a challenge that we have to take seriously. And as individuals trying to get this kind of capability embedded into your organization, that is a key element that you have to address. Okay, let's go to the term augmented intelligence now. And is this related to augmented reality? Um, what is the difference? So uh, augmented intelligence is, is taking the best of both worlds. Let's, let's make sure that to our prior conversation there around making sure that we understand how decisions are being made, um, let's take the best of that and the human creativity element and make sure that we're creating a cohesive alignment between things like um, creative problem solving from a human perspective and the way that we apply the information that comes from machine learning and AI, that the way that it's applied, this kind of um, creative interweaving is where augmented intelligence really plays. And if so we think of- If I could try to summarize, tell me if this is correct. I'm not sure if this is correct, but it is- trying to combine machine and human intelligence and, while using the strengths of each. Yes. Okay, yeah, good. Absolutely. I like that, Max. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And I'd love your you know, I'd love to hear your perspective about about AR. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it, it's basically related to the uh the product that we just put out at Foursquare uh, called Marsbot, where we're kind of using a um, an, an audio platform to build sort of an audio AR of the city where you walk around and in real time as you walk past a certain storefront, we can play an audio file that's attached to that storefront. Um, now, it's really cool, but I don't know what people are going to do with it yet. So we're, we're at the phase of that technology where it's like, <laughs> we can do it, but what use is this? And that's what, um, and hopefully that's what, what people figure out. Right now, we're just trying to inspire people that, hey, we can do it. Uh, but And you know, Max, that's a great example of, of how AR and, and, a, uh, and our augmented intelligence work together. So that's where the human creativity comes in. Like, here's this really super cool technical capability that we've created. Now let's get, let's get a think tank group of people together and come up with some really uh, strong use cases for how we can apply this. And that's where the human creativity element plays in. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing we're finding is, you know, Foursquare has lots of really great information about places that, you know, we've built up over the years. And uh, in, in a lot of it, honestly, has been like seven, eight years ago because it's kind of an, an older company where we could tell you, okay, what's the... What's the high? What's the best? The highest thing to order at a cafe when you walk by the cafe? What's it known for? Okay, that's interesting. That's something a machine can do. But I think a human could do a lot better. Uh, like if we hire a, a comedian or an entertainer or something, or or, or a musician or someone like that to uh, give you an augmented reality view of the city. I think it could just do. There there are certain things we could do with the machines that are okay. But I, I we're finding we're up against the wall that only humans can solve at this point. And that's actually a great place to be because you're right on the cusp of, you don't even know what is coming until you get yeah. that group of people together and, you know, brainstorm, really truly bring creativity to the table. And, you know, we see technologies either take off or die um, when they get to that, uh, when they get to that point. Now, sometimes, the, the human creativity is leading the creation of technology and we've already got some really strong use cases in mind when the technology is created, but that's not always the case. Sometimes we create technology and then find fantastic applications for it. So, you know, if we think about, yeah. uh, you know, if we think about things like being able to, to, uh, in, to put full books or resource elements into surgical operating rooms that a, a surgeon can wave their hand without ever touching anything and move forward pages in a book or scroll down a web screen for some specific information like literally in the middle of a surgery that use case for um for uh, ar technology certainly wasn't in the minds of those that created it that was an application that came about after the technology already was created. And, you know, there are things that have happened in history that that model plays out over and over again. So I'm sure there's uh, cool applications on the right on the, right on the edge out there for you guys to get to, Max. That's one of the hardest things I've found is a lot of times the the. Uh, the the stuff that uh, as engineers in particular were interested in building, it's the applications aren't clear yet, and it's it's and and perhaps rightfully so, it's a lot harder to get support, whether that's internal support at a company or, or funding, to do these types of projects. Um, and sometimes it's it's good to switch off between something like that and something that's like obviously needed now that that needs to be built or at least that I found kind of like a one for you, one for me type <laughs> approach to, to the career. But how, how do you, how do you, do you hold these conversations ever where, cause there are a lot of times where as engineers, we, we build stuff that uh, we think is cool that, you know, someone might use and then it, and then it doesn't get used. So it, it, that, that could be frustrating at times. But you know, the, in, the really important thing about innovation is that we have to give ourselves the, permission to fail because innovation at really truly being innovative requires a lot of failure and that means that it may not ever actually be applied or take off in some massive way 
Um, however, I mean, we can look back to Edison in history, right? In, in the, the thousands of what he called failures um, before coming to some of the most critical discoveries in history. So that is something that has plagued, in my opinion, the business community that there is an expectation that every effort in every project is going to have uh, some some application, some profitability, some impact on purpose or humanity. And that's just simply not the case. We've got to elevate our willingness to accept that when we create things, that when we're truly being innovative, not every one of those innovations is going to lead to something, you know, high impact. However, it could and does impact the body of understanding, the body of information, the body of work and knowledge that could create the next really big impact thing. So we've got to embrace a little bit of failure to make sure that we're really maximizing our innovative capabilities. Yeah, I've been surprised. I've, I've always run into the mindset of, you know, we have very strict priorities based on what the current needs are, and we're always going to work on the number one priority. And it seems like, hey, that should be the most efficient team. And then I'm, I'm, and then it's, it's always surprising when, over the long run, it seems like, oh, it's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, because it's, it's, it's kind of you get kind of tunnel vision into whatever your current clients want for example yeah. it's like well <laughs> yeah we built a, a ton of stuff that clients want in 2017 but now it's 2018 and we could have been building uh, you know for the future yeah exactly so i think that's Im it's important as we move into the next era and i think that this idea of you know super fast innovation that's not perfect has been embraced during this pandemic period we hmm. we are seeing um, that uh, why do you think that is because i feel like a lot of a lot of stuff and i'm sorry to cut you off but i i feel like there's been a lot of times in the pandemic period where people are like oh it's an emergency you have to do this this and this but it 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 does seem like you're right that there is kind of a, a shift in thinking toward uh, uh like you say so so what do you think's going on i think it's a matter of done available is better than uh, waiting for perfect, hmm. right? So yeah. as we've been in the middle of this pandemic period, customers are more accepting of the fact that it may not be perfect, but we're, we're going to be, we're going to do the best we can to provide you with what you need. And so the customers have gotten a little bit more realistic about the fact that if you want something really fast, that it is not necessarily going to be perfect, but we're going to get it to you, right? And so I think that when society as a whole starts to be more open and accepting of done and provided is better than, oh, wait, we'll get you a perfect solution, but it's going to be three months or six months from now, that, it, you know, we've seen a, a fast shift towards this acceptability of good and done is better than perfect and not here yet. Yeah. Yeah. There it's, it's the, the, the incremental approach is, you know, so first of all, it's like often more exciting because you're getting things done faster, but I, I think we've all seen situations where you're, you're working on a project, but like you can't show weakness to the customer. So you got to push it off like a year until every I is dotted and every T is crossed. And, um, 
by then the priorities could have changed completely. Right. I think that we've seen a fast forwarding of uh, agile methodologies and agile mentality in during this pandemic period. And I think that that is going to survive past this disruption period. I think that we've mm -hmm. recreated um, expectations. And so from a technologist perspective, when you're having conversations, it's incredibly important that we set expectations up front. So what if when you are in one of those situations with a client, what if you had the conversation up front that if you hire us to do something high end innovative, then it's got to be fast iterations. You've got to be giving us feedback on a, you know, on a daily or weekly basis. And every expectation is set that this is going to be highly interactive and that you are going to be behaving in an agile fashion. And that is how you are going to avoid the big failures that are possible if you wait to give a deliverable for six or 12 months, because you might have a minor failure on a day or weekly basis which you will have, by the way, when you're doing things highly innovative. Right? I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we have micro failures that we fast forward through. And then the customer is engaged in that process the whole time. But you have to set expectations that it's not always going to be uh, perfect and fruitful. And that's the point of creating things in an agile fashion is that you fail fast, you learn, and then you jump forward with the next piece because of what you learned in the last effort. Okay, great. So let's talk about conversational AI. I've created a chatbot once. Uh, how can that was actually the first version of, of Marsbot four years ago. It's a, kind of the benefit of, of where I work, get to work on all these cool things. How can this be applied in a B2B scenario? So conversational AI has so much, so many capabilities, and I'm always intrigued from a consumer perspective. I was on a, um, I was on a, a website yesterday, obviously a consumer website, and a chat bot popped up and was able to very successfully answer the three questions I had in a matter of seconds. And wow. it, it was, it was incredible. Um, to see it applied in such a practical fashion. I got very quick answers to my questions. I came away a very happy customer. And what happens on the backside of that, if you're the business provider, is that you did not have to have a queued up client because my um, additional experience in the past with those kind of customer service situations is, and certainly during the pandemic, you could be waiting for uh, over an hour. I, I had, I was on a wait period one time um, for 72 minutes before somebody answered the phone, yeah. right? That does not create a, a happy customer. No, and then the phone conversation is not happy either because it, you're kind of mad. And can you imagine being cranky? The, right, and being the person answering that call and yeah. all day long they're answering calls from people who've been on hold for over an hour. I mean, I just, my heart goes out to these people. So now instead of those individuals spending their time dealing with angry customers, now you can reallocate those customers to doing proactive customer service activities, customer delight activities, instead of them dealing with frustrated customers. So now you have, 
by using conversational AI, you've accomplished a couple of really important things. You have made a very delighted customer, obviously critical because retaining customers needs to be the mantra of every organization. And you've also created a massive positive impact on your employee experience. And, there's, and there are now mounds of research about the impact on your business of creating a positive employee experience. So I think conversational AI has some fantastic capabilities in this space. So let me, let me ask a question about that because I feel like there are certain types of questions that I expect a machine to be able to answer and then certain types of questions where I don't even want to try. So <laughs> let me try to give an example. Like, let's suppose I am, I'm doing online banking, um, okay? And I want to ask, you know, hey, what is my balance? How much did I spend last month or something like that? That, that I expect to be able to do. But let's say I'm like, I was trying to transfer funds and there was an error on the website and I don't know where it is right now and uh, someone told me this, but this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I don't want to speak to a machine about that. Um, and sometimes it's like, I don't really know what the capabilities are of the chatbot. I don't know if it's like, uh, I don't know if it could deal with kind of like a, a delicate or complicated issue. So how do you, is there like a, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like there might need to be like a, a customer uh, education part, part of it where you, you know to ask the simple questions and the complicated questions. I don't know how good we are at the complicated questions. It's, 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 I, I don't know what to do about that. So I think the complicated questions are, it's an evolution. And with machine learning, we know that the more uh, the more of these situations that we're able to train the models on to deal with, the better that we'll be able to address more complicated questions. But the reality is, is that this is where the interweaving of human and technical capability is so critical. So I, on the, on the chatbot example that I was sharing earlier, um, I had a fourth question. The fourth question was one of those. And I always ask the chatbots the fourth question, even though I highly doubt they'll be able to answer those high-end critical questions because I want that question to be part of the data that they're training their models on. So I make sure that I put the question in. And you know what happens? It pops back and says that this isn't a question they're going to be able to answer for you. Please contact customer service or would you like to speak? And then they pop up another window with a live customer service agent so you can interact. Well, that's more, a good solution, yeah, right? rather than just breaking, you know. Exactly. Uh, so <laughs> that, that's probably the best if I were designing it. Like that's, you, know, you, you, you would want it to send you to the person before uh, breaking down and just, you know, put, rather than answering something, rather than taking a few keywords out of that complicated question and then answering something simpler, that could be very frustrating. Right. So the ones, the bots that are doing well right now, in my opinion, are, are able to discern when they can't answer the question and when they need human intervention. Mm. And then they're redirecting you to humans, giving you the option to either interact with a human via chat or would you prefer to call or would you prefer us to call you? They give the customer the option of how they want to handle their next step. And that same, that same ideology is being applied in B2B environments as well, 
where a lot of the common questions going back and forth from business to business are also things that can be either answered really quickly or they're too complex to do that. I do like to, as somebody who's a student in this area, I do like to make sure I ask the questions so I can help to improve their models over time. Um, even when I feel like it's probably not something they're going to be able to answer, I always ask the question. Yeah, yeah. Well, then there's always the model, like you said, of do I then go to the real human or do I not? And so it's certainly going to help with that. And right. that, that just what you just said sounds like a perfect example coming back to like augmented intelligence. That's like exactly what it is, the perfect blending. Um, okay, so uh, you're in Tulsa. I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, there are probably a lot of us uh, in like New York and San Francisco right now who might be curious about living in a smaller city. And I don't know what it's like, uh, you know, to work in, in tech out there. But um, can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, it's interesting. I have spent most of my career living in, in Tulsa and been in the tech world in one way, shape or another. And it actually provides me with a lot of benefit. Obviously, being in the central time zone is a pretty fantastic place to be so that I can uh, easily interact with those from from both coasts. Yeah. Um, one, it's uh, I'm the only employee for Splunk in Tulsa, so which pre-pandemic probably would have sounded like an odd thing, and now doesn't even sound strange to people because we've seen the workforce shifts with support for from employers for people to be located physically anywhere so it's not as much but, of a surprise for people yeah. about where i live now as it used to be <laughs> they're used to yeah now there are people who are a mile away they're still on the little screen up front there uh so <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah um all right that's really cool uh so uh i think we're about ready to wrap up do you have any closing thoughts and um you know, where can people find out more about you? Sure. So from a closing thought perspective, I just want to encourage people to think about, uh, think about how we get involved from a human perspective to get comfortable with the capabilities of technology. And don't think of it from a fearful place. I, in a lot of conversations that I have, people are concerned about what's going to happen with machine learning, with artificial intelligence. And in, instead of being fearful, let's be engaged. I want to see people get engaged in dialogue, learn what it means to have those interwoven capabilities between technology and humans, and have a voice with regard to governance around technology. Uh, there are three core tipping points. And this is actually a book that was written um, by a couple of incredibly smart gentlemen from Gartner called Digital to the Core. And the book's a few years old now, but the tenants are, are so critical. Three tipping points. The technology's got to be capable. The regulatory env environment has to be conducive. And society has to be ready to embrace the change. So Along that, that continuum, we, want, we need to make sure that we are embracing technical capabilities, that we are creating a regulatory environment that makes it good for humanity, and that we as a society are deciding where do we want to apply tech and where do we not. And so those are, I, 
areas where every individual and every leader can begin to educate themselves around those three different tipping points. As far as being able to get engaged with me, I'm, I'm really active on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to interact with me. I actively uh, connect with people, chat with people offline. So if I can ever be of help to you or your listeners, please feel free to contact me via LinkedIn. All right, great. And all those links, uh, including your LinkedIn, will be posted on the show notes page at localmaxradio.com slash 148. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure, Max. Thanks for having me. All right. I had a great time with that. I'm now counting down. We have three episodes until the end of this year. Uh, so I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with that three. It'll probably include a December news update. And I don't know if we're going to do this, but it seems like the turmoil at Facebook and Google have taken another turn. So maybe we'll have a, another go at that. Um, I know we've done a lot of that, but I've never gotten any pushback, so I assume people like that. Uh, but let me know. And of course, uh, one of them is going to be a look back for the year, so that might be in order. And maybe something else. Maybe I'll have another guest. I don't know. But uh, it's exciting. We're counting down. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.